You are listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Presbyterian Church in Winston-Salem. Thanks for listening. To learn more about our church, visit salempresws.org. That's salempresws.org. We believe preaching is best when experienced as part of the larger drama of God's people gathering. Something spiritually unique happens when God's people are together. We meet each Sunday to let the liturgy shape us, to hear preaching, and to take the Lord's Supper. And these acts are more robust when done together. Join us Sunday evenings at 5 p.m. in downtown Winston-Salem at 600 Holly Avenue. scripture passage is Acts 22, 1 through 29. I'll give you a minute to open your pew Bible or look it up on your phone and I'll do the same. Okay, please stand for the reading of God's word. Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, As the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one, Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, well spoken of all by the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your light, receive your sight, sorry. And at that very hour, I received my sight and saw him. And he said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have heard and seen. And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. When I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. 
And he said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Up to this word, they listened to him. Then they raised their voice and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And as soon as they were, as, as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging, to find out why they were shouting against him like this. But when they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, Is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said, What are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. So the tribune came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he said, Yes. The tribune answered, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. And Paul said, But I am a citizen by birth. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately, and the tribune also was afraid, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Well, grace and peace, fam. Good to be with you. Uh, To those I hadn't had the pleasure of meeting, I am uh, Jonah Hooper. I get the pleasure of serving as the Reform University Fellowship Campus Minister uh, to Winston-Salem State University. And I can't thank you enough for the way uh, that Salem Press has loved and prayed for and supported um, the work that we're doing over in East Winston. Uh, I say, though, as a, as a son of Salem, uh, because uh, before coming to, say, uh, to do the work at, at, at RUF at Winston-Salem State, I, I served here as an intern at Salem Press. And as a son of Salem, uh, I get to go and take so much of what I've learned and how I've grown with me to the campus. And I had someone tell me the other day that how much they love seeing the way that RUF has grown over the years. And while I'm grateful, It also makes me want to cry and tell a man, well, help me feed him, please. Because I wish you could see the way that college students can decimate a chicken wing. (laughs) But I say that because my family has been great. My intern has been amazing. And because we've continued to grow, I'm excited to be able to introduce to y'all the newest member of my staff. So Jonah's gone from being the intern to having a staff of his own. Uh, and so I have now my own new ministry assistant, Trayvon, who's with us tonight. Um, and so we're continuing to grow, but know that there is a lot more chicken wings that need to be served. There's a lot of conferences and uh, for students to attend. And, and so know that we really could use your support. And after service, we'd love to talk to you about ways that you can do exactly that. I want to wrestle tonight, though, with, with some ideas from this 22nd chapter in Acts. And I hope you'll walk with me through um, exactly what that means. But I think there's three things that that I want to look at tonight. I want to look at the way that the gospel gives us, first, a new identity. The second, of course, being that the gospel gives us a new purpose. And the third, that the gospel gives us this new incredible sense of trust, a new identity, a new purpose, 
a new sense of trust. A theologian N.T. Wright says that the final chapters here in Acts answer the question of what Paul is all about. It, of course, comes to us as the second edition from Luke, and he believes this is written as a defense for the Apostle Paul's trial in Rome. And so it has factual detail, which is helpful because uh, then it's not just these miscellaneous uh, disconnected stories of the church, but these are concise, focused narratives of what Paul has been up to. In chapters 21 and 22, they're pretty closely connected and they join the charges made against Paul with his defense against them. And the people see Paul with some severe sense of disloyalty. And he gets arrested for what they see as Paul, in essence, flaunting that disloyalty. It's imperative to know, though, that how it is that we get to this point. So I want to look briefly just at 21. And Paul, he makes this decision that he's traveling to Jerusalem as always, with this deep commitment to sharing Jesus and the brothers around him are like, hey, homie, I don't think this is a good idea. But Paul is still absolute in his resolve. He gets on the boat, but as they say goodbye, it's almost as if you can tell this this time, this is something different. Along the way, they, they stop in Caesarea and Paul stays with Philip the Evangelist. But while he's there, this dude named Agabus shows up. He pulls Paul's belt off and he wraps it around his hands and his feet. And he says, Paul, if you go to Jerusalem, this is exactly what they'll do to you. Still, Paul is even more adamant about the work. And when he finally arrives in Jerusalem, at first is nothing but love for him, it seems. He, he goes, he sees James and all the leaders of the church. He gives them the details of all that he's seen God doing in his travels. But Paul goes, though, then to the temple. And this, of course, is when the drama begins because the people start to say that Paul has been traveling the world to teach people this distorted view of the faith. And that he's even bringing non-Jews into their worship spaces. And the crowds call so much drama that the Roman soldiers show up and they see that they are trying to kill Paul. And when they can't get a straight answer to what he'd done that was wrong, they intervene by arresting Paul. And when they are about to take Paul away, he asks if he could just tell the crowd something before he goes. And tonight we're looking at what this message is to them. Paul says in these opening verses, brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. This address that begins with calling his hearers brothers and fathers draws them into an intimacy of relationship. The word defense used here is in its original language is apologia, which is, of course, 
from where we get the word apology and is defined as a formal argument for prior actions. And he speaks this in the Hebrew language that they might see that he is a Jew who is pleading among his Jewish brothers. In my in-depth experience of watching episodes of Dateline and 2020, uh, I know any valid defense must go this way. It must begin with crafting a compelling narrative. This narrative must communicate the essential truths for us. It must provide a collection of evidence that refutes the report made against you. It also then requires knowledge. Knowledge of the laws is often the inability to meet the standards required or a compelling way to refute what has been said against you. You must bring light against the darkness as often what is left unsaid needs to be illuminated so that you can fight for what you know is right. With this kind of legal insight, I, I might turn out to be the Black Perry Mason after all. But still, in 1 Peter 3, 15 through 16, we are told to honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet, do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience. So that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Know, fam, that this verse is Paul demonstrating precisely that for us. I don't want to gloss over the fact that he does this here in Hebrew, not only as a reflection of Paul's intellect, but it shows the devout nature of his faith that they wanted to suggest that he had abandoned. And Paul goes on to say that I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Sicilia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are this day. This third verse is a resume builder. It is a statement of Paul's credentials to say, as we do in East Winston, he better put some respect on my name. It is this truth that cannot be denied. And so Paul claims that I'm not new to this. I am true to this. And to have been taught by Gamaliel was to have achieved the highest form of academic instruction available. And so the law for which he is said to not have been faithful, Paul is saying, actually, I know this well. In verses 4 and 5, Paul says, I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. And from them, I received letters to the brothers and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. Uh, I remember growing up in church when they would make time in each service to stand and give witness to all the ways that God was moving in the lives of the people. 
We'd hear stories about the way that folks were being healed from sicknesses and diseases. We'd hear the stories about how God made provision when it seemed there was no way. But I love to hear the stories of God's people coming to faith. And tonight, fam, Paul is standing in the service to tell us the way that he'd been brought out of a life of persecuting the church, even bringing the faithful in chains to imprisonment. And while he was on the way. Right in the middle of life's mess, God brought him out. Even in our dignity. I know if you're anything like me and you know what it's like to be on the way. On the way in the mess of life. And you have an encounter with Jesus. I can't tell you how much the joy of my work on campus day after day is seeing that Jesus is still encountering students on the way. That he draws them out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Or maybe Luke says his best in his gospel that Jesus comes to give light to those who sit in the darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. So in verses 6 through 11, Paul goes on to say, as I was on my way and drew near to Damascus about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuted? And I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise and go into Damascus. And there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of the light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. I love grinding out the way the scripture gives us this persistent notion of tension. Often this tension is the reality of confrontation, confrontation of engaging with Jesus and being radically changed. This tension, of course, we we feel deep within us. It shapes the very core of our being as truth and transformation are at a crossroads. Paul, who had written the book of Romans before this, I'm sure remembers writing to them. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. And for those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And I need you to see this, fam, because clearly Paul believes that it is God alone who initiates salvation. And it is in this salvation that only God gives that Paul recognizes there is a new gospel identity. In verses 11 through 16, Paul says, and since I could not see because of the brightness of the light. I was led by the hand by 
those who were with me and came into Damascus and one Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me, said to me, brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour, I received my sight and saw him. And he said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth, for you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. And so Paul, of course, then being entirely blinded by the brightness of the light is is led by the hand into the city of Damascus. And there he meets Ananias. Ananias, of course, is a good brother. And he simply calls Paul out of his blindness and points him to Jesus. He says that the God of our fathers has appointed Paul to know his will and to hear the voice of Jesus because in this new gospel identity, he has also been given a new gospel purpose to go and tell somebody about Jesus. Fam, I pray that we would all have those in our lives who in our moments of blindness would call us out of that blindness and point us to Jesus. To have someone who who knows the weight of the burdens we carry and leads us then to the foot of the cross, knowing that Jesus is the only one who can forgive and mend the brokenness of our lives. And yet still, I pray that they wouldn't let you rest in guilt and shame but pushes you into this new gospel purpose. So Ananias tells Paul, brother, what are you waiting for? You got to get up and go and wash your sins away and call on his name. So know, fam, that this new gospel purpose is one that each of us carries. The purpose of proclaiming his name to others that they might too know him. So live out your true purpose each and every day at work or at home or in your school, showing others mercy just as he has been merciful and show them kindness just as his kindness led him to the cross for you. Fam is when we live with this new gospel purpose that God himself is glorified in our lives. I love verses 17 through 21 because Paul unveils the depths of his depravity. He says, when I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And so Paul is praying in the temple when God tells him to get away quickly because his testimony of coming to faith would not be received. 
But Paul just responds by telling God all the wicked things that he'd done. He says that I went from place to place beating and imprisoning everyone and who believed in Jesus. And even when Stephen is brutally murdered, Paul says I was there watching and approving. This fam is why the gospel is such good news for us, because though each of us knows what it means to break the very heart of God and sin, God has already graciously forgiven us. And to rest in the gospel is to know what it means to have your sins removed and restoration has already come. I don't want you to miss what happens in verse 21, though, because while Paul is going on and on about way he's falling, God doesn't give him any consolation for feeling guilty. No, God simply responds by telling him, go and live in this new gospel purpose. Finally, then in verses 22 to 29, it says up to this word, they listen to Paul. And then they they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. But when they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? And when the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to him, "Uh, what are you about to do for this man is a Roman citizen? And so the tribune came to him and said, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And Paul said, yes. And the tribune answered, I bought this citizenship. Uh, for a large sum, but Paul said, but I'm a citizen by birth. And so those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately, and the tribune also was afraid, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had him bound. And despite the faithful witness that Paul gives, verse 22 is a reminder that some will not receive it. Not only do they not receive it, they continue to push for Paul's death. And in the confusion of it, of it all, the soldiers decide to take Paul away and to beat him until finally the truth comes out. But just as they pull out the whips, Paul tells the brothers, hold up, wait a minute, let me put some Jesus in it. <laughs> Paul goes on to say to them, that he is indeed a Roman citizen too. And finally concluding that Paul is right, they back away. This fam is resting in this new sense of gospel trust. To trust God to be the source of life's protection and redemption. Trusting God is not only necessary for coming to saving faith in him, but Trusting God is where we find true peace and the courage to continue on in the faith. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 tells us to trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. And in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. 
And so each week we come to this table as a demonstration of our trust to him. To say that we trust in a righteousness that is not our own, but rests eternally on him. Resting in the salvation that we could not achieve on our own, but he alone has given us. So do you trust him? On the night that... Remember, we love these rascals.